Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Plains on the Prairie podcast. I'm Max, and today I'm joined by Sam, and we have a very special guest today, Brigadier General Alan Henderson. Brigadier General Alan Henderson uh, joined the Air National Guard in 1954 and served up until 1997, retiring as a Brigadier General. We're very happy to have him on the podcast today, and we'll, uh, we'll get right into it. So uh, thank you for joining us today, General Henderson. Um, you want to just tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, where you're from, uh, just a little bit of background? Okay. I was uh, born and raised right here in Fargo, um, in uh, South Fargo. And uh, as it turns out, uh, I had a lot of, ex of interaction with my cousin, who and we both loved airplanes. And that's how I got interested in airplanes. And then, of course, there was a military requirement in those days. So I uh, said, well, I, why not? Why wait? I'll just join up rather than wait to get drafted. So that's how I got into the military <laughs> in, in uh, my senior year in high school. Awesome. Uh, so tell us, uh, what made you join the Air National Guard? Uh, because... I really had an interest in airplanes. Oh, I just, yeah. <laughs> as, as a teenager, I loved airplanes. And uh, so I figured, well, I'm, if I'm going to serve, let me serve yeah. around airplanes. <laughs> and at that point, I had no no uh, understanding that I could be a pilot. It's just that I, I needed to serve. And I was a mechanic to begin with uh, in the Air National Guard. So oh, I was a happy hooligan mechanic to begin with. <laughs> So uh, tell us a little bit about your education. Well, I was educated, um, of course, in the high school here in Fargo. Mm -hmm. I went, in those days, it was called Central High. It burned down in 1968, but uh, Central High School. And then I went on to NDSU in mechanical engineering, and I got a degree in mechanical engineering, and then went to work in industry um, for uh, General Electric for a, one year. I was on a training program. They moved me around. And uh, so I worked for them for one year and then decided, no, I think I'd like to go back to the university and get an advanced degree. And so I came back here and uh, started a degree in mechanical engineering, but then learned about industrial engineering. And then I went to industrial engineering. It was, in those days, it was called industrial engineering and management. And I uh, went there and got my bachelor's degree there. And then after that, uh, I uh, wanted to get a master's degree, and uh, it's best to get it someplace else. So, and I had a desire, maybe I can come back here. So, uh, I went to Iowa State University and got a master's and a PhD at Iowa State University in Ames, Iowa. And Des Moines, Iowa is just uh, 30 miles south of there, and that's where the Air National Guard unit was. Awesome. Very cool. Uh, so, when you decide, uh, when did you uh, decide to go onto the pilot side from the, or after being previously uh, a mechanic? Okay, well, I was a mechanic, and then uh, I heard about the uh, ability uh, that we had to apply for pilot training, and I thought, you know, why? I think I'll do that. That'd be kind of interesting and be uh, rewarding and a lot of uh, enjoyment and fun to serve that way. And uh, so I applied and was accepted and passed all the physicals and all the tests that they give you. And uh, that's how I got into it, uh, from a mechanic to a pilot trainee. And uh, so that's how I got into it. And then, of course, I went into the Air Force for my one year of, of pilot training. It takes about one year to get a pilot's uh, wings. 
Very cool. And uh, what aircraft did you uh, do your training on? Okay, I started out at a place called Moore Air Base by McAllen, Texas in a T-34. And that's a two-seat single-engine airplane. Um, it's a relatively small airplane, of course. And then we went from there to a T-28. Um, again, two-seat so that you could have an instructor pilot with you. And um, that was a, uh, a bigger airplane. It would, I don't know if you... If, it uh, you know, kind of looks like a World War II airplane is what it looks like. Anyway, then went to um, went from there to Greenville Air Force Base in Mississippi, uh, where I flew T-33s. And at the end of the T-33, that's when they award your pilot wings. Okay. How, how did you feel about the, the transition from, say, the T-28 to the T-33? Oh, it was fun. It was really fun. And it, it's just a little more exciting. You go faster. Uh, you can climb higher. Uh, it just, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's fun to achieve whatever you're trying to achieve. And, and that would be an indication that uh, you've, you've moved a step farther. Okay, very cool. So after the T-33, um, what aircraft were you assigned at Iowa and in North Dakota? Well, I came back to North Dakota and uh, flew the F. Well, I actually hang on. After pilot getting my pilot's wings, I went to a place called Perrin Air Force Base north of Dallas. And that's where they trained us to be interceptor pilots. Oh. It's a special, it was a special school just to train as a fighter interceptor. And I flew the F-86 there, the, 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 the version that had the radar in it that, that, that shot the missiles. Uh, and it was intended to be a interceptor, a fighter interceptor. And so I got my interceptor training there in a single seat airplane. So you learn to fly the airplane, but you also learn to operate the radar and acquire the enemy target. And then after that, then I came back to Fargo and uh, they had F-89s at the time. Awesome. So what was, I guess, um, for training in, or operating in Fargo, um, what was the protocol for using the F-89? Would you patrol, how far north could you go? How far east, west, south, um, something like that? Okay, Art, uh, first off, the mission was continental air defense, specifically northern tier continental air defense. And so we were a defender of the northern tier of the United States. Um, but it wasn't just the northern tier, uh, it would have been very likely that the, in those days, there was a, the Cold War going on with Russia. And uh, uh, the bombers from Russia very likely would have come over the pole and gone right by here on their way to Chicago and, and Washington, D.C. and so forth. So we, we performed the def defense of the United States function right here uh, as uh, in a fighter interceptor. Awesome. Yeah. Um, so while you were uh, while you're flying uh, the F-89s and other fighter aircraft, uh, did you have a, a specific call sign you went by? Uh, yes. Well, that's that's funny you ask because I can't remember. I had a call sign. Yes. I don't remember what it was now. <laughs> <laughs> <I'm getting> old. <laughs> 
Uh, just another question about the F-89 and then we'll move on. Um, was the, what was the name? Like, cause they say Rio or Wizzo in the backseat. Um, did they have a specific name in the F-89 or a, a nickname that they went by? In the, when, in the F-89, early on, we called the person in the backseat the RO, the Radar Observer. And later on, they changed the name of that person to the WSO, which you just mentioned, the Weapons Systems Officer. And so it got changed, and I can't remember exactly the year that it, they changed the, 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 what they were calling that, that person's mission, not mission, mm -hmm. but uh, a function, but uh, it got changed. Okay. Were they uh, trained pilots as well, or were they primarily ROs and WSOs? They were primarily, uh, they came through navigator school. So they went to uh, navigator and their first, uh, their first uh, award was wings as a navigator. Um, and then after that, then they learned the concept of uh, uh, operating the radar. Okay, awesome. So after the F-89, what aircraft did you fly then? Uh, after the F-89, um, uh, of course, I went to Iowa and flew the F-89 there, then came back and then flew the F-102. And then after the F-102, the 101. And then so after, us, oh, after sorry, the 101, sorry. of course, the uh, F-4. Mm-hmm. So tell us a little bit about the uh, F-102 um, going from a two-seat F-89 to a single-seat F, uh, a deuce, as they called it. Yeah, the deuce. <laughs> they did the deuce, yes. Uh, well, there was, a, there was more of a challenge there because you, you had to fly as well as acquire the, the target and, and run the radar and so forth. So it was a little bit more challenging, but mm -hmm. it worked out well, and uh, it was fun to be able to do that, and it was a nice airplane to fly. Mm -hmm. um, were the intercept um, procedures any different from the F-89 compared to flying the F-102? Um, yes, the F-89 carried nuclear rockets. And our strategy with the nuclear rockets, was the, the main, I should say the main strategy was a head-on attack. So you'd you would intercept the target and you're both going toward each other head on. Whereas the F-102 didn't have the, the nuclear rockets. It just had uh, uh, radar guided rockets and, and you could go head on, but we typically, you typically go um, 90 degrees, roughly 90 degrees from the, or you could be in back of them too. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Okay. Um, and then uh, you said you flew the uh, the voodoo's, and uh, uh, what did you uh, think about transitioning from the one hundred twos to the one hundred ones? Like, uh, was there uh, was there any major differences in performances between the two? Uh, no, no big difference. No, no big difference. I can't remember the exact uh, height limitations and so forth. Uh, uh, I, in fact, the speed limitations would be probably pretty similar. Now, the F-4 would be, was a supersonic airplane, mm -hmm. but uh, these were probably pretty similar. Okay. So uh, with the F-101, um, there's been, or it's notorious that it had a pitch-up problem. 
Um, did you ever experience that firsthand or know any of the hooligan pilots that did? You're right. You're right. It did have that problem. I did never experienced it. And at this point, I can't remember anybody having that problem. Um, by the way, all of our pilots were very, very capable, very mm -hmm. well-trained. And maybe that's the reason we didn't uh, have any pitch-ups uh, that I can remember it anyway. Um, yeah, absolutely. I, I believe it. Um, were you present at the uh, William Tell competition when the hooligans took first place? Uh, I never went down there. See, that was the, the competition was in Florida and basically just the team, including mechanics and everybody, the whole team, okay. the pilots the, and the mechanics went down together. And I, but I never went in person to those competitions, no. So would they select an individual aircraft and crew? Was it based on like a competition held in North Dakota or was it just like, oh, you guys are going, um, have fun basically, if well, that makes sense. Well, they, uh, they would pick a crew from okay. here to, to go down there. And so they went down as a team. Gotcha. I, I was just curious if they would um, just pick a random crew if it was the best one that they had up in Fargo. Well, it was uh, good ones, of course, but it was also <laughs> who was available to go down. Gotcha. Uh, you know, everybody in the Air National Guard, well, not everybody, but most people had another job. <laughs> and so uh, whether you go to competition like that depended upon your job. You may have been the best super pilot, but had another job and therefore, therefore couldn't go to the competition. <laughs> yeah. Excuse me. Okay. And uh, you mentioned you flew the uh, F-4s as well. Uh, out of every uh, aircraft you've, you've flown, which, would you, which one would you have to say is your favorite or had the best experience flying? Well, that's an interesting question. Uh, they're all different and uh, I could appreciate the differences in all of them. Uh, the, the Delta Wing was kind of a smooth type airplane because of that Delta Wing. Um, and of course, the one, like you mentioned, the F-101 had pitch-up problems, so or potentially you have to be a little more cautious about that. Um, I probably, oh, I don't know, enjoyed them all, but they were simply different. Uh, the F-4, of course, would go a lot faster than all the rest of them. Uh, it was a Mach 2 airplane. Mm -hmm. um, my, personally, my personal experience was I only had gotten up to Mach 1.8. Um, and the, by the way, the reason for that is our missions were to train, train, train so that if it ever happened, we'd be available. So our training was all over North Dakota and we had airspaces specifically designated for us to train in. And those airspaces were only, I don't, I don't remember now, but uh, two or three, 400 miles long. And, uh, Typically, in those uh, airspaces, uh, you start out at one end, and you may not get all the way to Mach two by the hit, by the time you hit the other end. <laughs> <laughs> so, with those, so during your oh, go ahead, Sam. Oh, so with those airspaces, was there any overlap with other uh, guard units or any other patrolling units? No, that was just uh, our unit here. Okay. Well, wait um, a minute. I'll oh. take that back. For a while. Grand Forks Air Force Base used to have 106s. Uh, oh, that's a good question. 
Mike, I'm, I'm going to assume that they used the same airspace that we did. Okay. Awesome. Um, just curious, during your career, did you have any intercepts? Of, of, uh, of intercepts of whom? Uh, Soviet bombers or oh, stray oh, no, pilots? No, 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 I didn't. Uh, again, I had a full-time job at, okay. at the university as a professor. And so I didn't go on any of these deployments, but we had some deployments where our people went like to Iceland and so forth. Mm -hmm. And they would intercept, not shoot intercept, but intercept mm -hmm. uh, Soviet bombers. And we've got pictures. Uh, you probably have some of them available to your museum there. Uh, we have pictures of, of the our Happy Hooligan airplanes and the than the uh, Russian bombers. Gotcha. Um, just a personal question for me: um, Did you ever have any time flying in or flying the C or VC forty seven Mini H? Uh, I, on occasion, acted as a co-pilot. But I was never the pilot of a C-47. No, that was before my time. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, uh, we just want to know, what, so after you retired in 1997, um, what, did you, what did you do? I, I was a professor until 1998. I actually oh, okay. retired from professor, my professor job in 1998. I worked at the university for 29 years. I was a professor of industrial engineering and management, and I also was the department chairman um, for, uh, oh, I can't remember how many years, but uh, uh, eight, 10 years. Wow. That's quite the career, both at NDSU and in the Guard. Wow. I was very fortunate. Uh, they, they were very compatible because the, the NDSU is right next to the airport. Mm -hmm. And so uh, if I had some flying to do, uh, let's say late afternoon, or if we were, if I was on alert, uh, I could just zip from the from the university right out there and perform my duty. And by the way, we were on 24-hour alert here. Mm -hmm. uh, we could the whole unit could have been activated, of course, if there was a big issue. But uh, we were on 24-hour alert with uh, at least two airplanes all the time. And so it was very common to go from work right out to the guard and start a, a shift at four o'clock and go till eight the next morning on your, on your, your shift uh, to um, be on alert. Awesome. Well, I think, Sam, do you have any more questions? Um, so uh, how have you been enjoying your retirement since then? Uh, well, I'm, my wife and I are very close to our family and we happen to have a lake place and so we spend a lot of time uh, back and forth. I'm talking to you right now from my apartment in Fargo. And so <laughs> we had a home here and a lake place. And then now we have an apartment here and a lake place. But to answer your question, we spend a lot of time with our family. We've got uh, three children and grown, obviously grown children and 10 grandchildren. Wow. Yeah, and, 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 and it's, excitement, it's exciting to be with them and spend some time with them and uh, really enjoy that. That's great. Awesome. And also, uh, I serve, uh, well, actually before my retirement, but uh, from a little bit before my retirement to after my retirement, I served on the board at Valley Christian Counseling Center. And in fact, after a while, I was chairman of the board. So give awesome. me a lot of 
little idea of the other things I did. Very good. Have you uh, passed on the aviation bug to any of any of your relatives? Uh, one of my grandsons uh, is uh, he works in Washington uh, D.C. area, uh, and he's in he's in space vehicle um, uh, development. Oh, very and cool. So and he really loves airplanes. He's never become a pilot and gone through pilot training, but he loves airplanes. So I share a lot of, of uh, experiences and pictures with him. Awesome. Very nice. Awesome. Well, all right. I I think, Sam, unless you have any other questions, um, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. This is uh, our first big interview, and I'm honored that it could have been you. So thank you, General. We, we appreciate it. Well, this has been a lot of fun, and I wish you both well, and I look forward to seeing both of you at the Air Museum. I really appreciate the Air Museum and all the work you've done out there. And awesome. so thank you. Thank you. Thanks again for joining. Yep. yep. Have a good day. Yep, you, you too. Bye-bye. Bye. Is it still recording? Um, yeah, I'll stop.